Peter, uh, Peter, we're on Peter, we're, we're getting to the end of Peter, all right, Peter chapter 5 is where we are today, and um, I'm going to get right into this, because um, there's some good stuff here, and Peter, that Peter's going to talk about for us, and um, it's Father's Day, and this kind of uh, has a, a flavor for fathers, because it's about leaders, a, a, ch- a chunk of what Peter's going to say to us is about leaders, and uh, God looks to his men as leaders to lead. To be leaders in the family, in the community, and in the church um, doesn't mean that women can't be leaders, but it means that men are called to be leaders, and and we we should take that on us, right, men, right? That's right. All right. So chapter five, Peter's been talking about a lot of good stuff in this section, uh, in this book, and he's going to write another letter. Uh, soon after this letter is written, but he's, he's in chapter 5, and we're kind of coming to the end of this thing. He's bringing it to a close, and uh, Peter's word for all of us today is this. This is a good word. Your crown is coming. Isn't that good news? Let's say that together. Your crown is coming. That's good news, because that means that God is coming one day soon. Peter just got done saying the end of all things is near, right? Talked about that last couple weeks. And your crown is coming. Your reward and the promise of God is coming soon. That that should make you feel good. It should make us feel like, you know what? You know, I'm on the final bend, you know, especially if you're older. We're on the final curve, (laughs) you know. And, And even if you're not, you know, the end is near. We're all like on the final curve and the the home stretch is here and like there's the finish line and and your reward is coming and I can hang in a little longer, right? I can do this, right? And that's kind of the whole feel of Peter's letter is like, come on, guys, we're in it together. We can do this. We can work to serve the king and bring other people to Jesus. And Peter's got so many good things to say. And and by the way, your crown is coming. So keep that in mind, right? Like that's the hope. You have hope. We're not doing this for nothing. You're not just wasting your time. You are honoring God with your life because he's coming back to reward those who love him. And that's what we're doing here. Your reward is coming. So 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. I'm just going to get into it, okay? You're gonna, we're going to unfold this whole thing. If you have your Bible, your cell phone, whatever you got, open it up and, and just work with me on this, this, this section. It's so good. He's, he's coming to a close, and, and as he does, Peter, I, I think as you read through this, as I kind of dug through this, Peter's like reflecting on really cool experiences that he had with Jesus, because you can kind of sense that as he writes this section, like he's remembering things that have happened that now are coming out in his writing. That's pretty cool, right? Because we know the Holy Spirit is using Peter to write, but he's also using Peter's story. He's using Peter's experience to share the truth of God or the truth of heaven with the, the, the readers or the, those who are the recipients of the letter and, and also ultimately to us. And he's touched on lots of things, right? Like the, the living hope and being holy and doing good and, you know, all these awesome things that we've been talking about. But he's also touched on things like this, like authorities and relationships that we have. Authorities and uh, slaves and husbands and wives. And now he says in verse 1, he says, to the elders among you. Let's just read this. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. 
Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders, all of you, Clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to, to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your fellow believers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. And everyone said... Amen, that's right, because that is the amen, right? That is going to happen. It is it. That is what will happen, exactly what Peter is telling us. This is going to be. You can bank on it. And so he says right here in verse 1, be shepherds, be, be shepherds, or I'm sorry, to the elders among you, let's back up verse 1. To the elders among you, he says, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering who also will share in the glory to be revealed. So Peter He's hit on different, different other people, you know, different groups of people, authorities and, and kings and rulers and husbands and wives. And, and, and now he's going to look right at our, our elders and say to you, look, elders, you, you have a work to do, right? If you're an elder, raise your hand. Raise your hand nice and tall. Claim it. Believe it. Okay, we got three. I see three. Where's the fourth? Oh, Bruce is over here. Okay. Let's give our elders a round of applause. Would you do that, please? Thank you, because these first four verses are, are really at you. This is like he, Peter's saying, you four guys in this church, this is for you. Pay attention. And, 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 and all of us, you know, we, we know that nobody's perfect. We know that they're not perfect. But they, ha they have taken on a huge responsibility to be shepherds of the flock, right? To be God's man right, in a world of darkness, to help lead the, sh the sheep, to help lead the flock into a relationship with Jesus, right, and to carry out the mission of Jesus. So they have this huge responsibility on them to be sure that they are following Jesus as they're leading you to follow Jesus. And that's huge, right? That's huge. And we all have that responsibility. We all feel that because people at your jobs and people in your family, your kids, they're watching you as you follow Jesus. So in, in another way, we are all an example to the world of what it means to follow Jesus. But in the church, elders among you, he says, to the elders among you, he, Peter says, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of his sufferings that we will also share in the glory to be revealed. So in light of, as Peter's been talking, in light of a couple things, in light of one, the persecution that these people are enduring right now as King Nero is persecuting the church and killing Christians and, and, and this all-out attack on God's people is going on right now as Peter writes these words. And in light of the coming judgment, remember Peter just said in chapter 4, verse 17, that it's time for judgment to begin and it's going 
going to begin where? The house of God, right? It's going to begin with us. Judgment's going to begin with us in this time of testing. And he says, you elders, the elders among you. And he's not talking about the elderly or the aged here. uh, Although elders should be a little more older and a little more mature and a little wiser, right? They should have uh, experienced a little bit of life before they even receive the call of elder. But he's not talking about older men. He's talking about leaders. And the word means men of office. It means pastors. It means those of you who are overseers or who have been called to be and appointed as shepherds. We know that he's talking about those guys because of verse 2. Okay, look at verse 2. And what he's saying to you and what he's saying to us is this. Elders, elders, you stay the course no matter what. You stay the course no matter how much persecution comes on you or the church or the faith in our world as it is happening all around us. You, you say you're a Christian out there in the world and you are going to be attacked. You just are. You stand up for anything, any standard, and you are going to be attacked. He's saying to you guys as elders, he's saying to us, you stay the course, you keep the mission first, number one priority. You follow Jesus into the dark world and bring the light, bring the truth, bring salvation to the world, and don't move to the left or to the right. You don't flinch. That's what he's saying to the elders right here. Those of you guys who are elders... You stay the course. He, say, he uses a couple words there in verse 1. Look at it, the word, I appeal. He says, I appeal. In other words, I challenge. Like, this is a strong word of, like, we can do this. You can do this. This isn't just, like, try. You know, give it a try. This is like, I appeal to you. I challenge you. I am going to hold you to this. You live this way. And then he says, as a fellow elder. What's that mean? Well, we know what that means. Peter, Peter understands what it means to be an elder. He is one. He's first-hand experience, right? He knows what this is like. He's an apostle. He followed Jesus. He watched Jesus. He learned from Jesus directly. And he's an elder for Jesus in the church. And he says, as a witness. That's another word. The third word is, as a witness of Christ's suffering. So not only do we have Peter, who is an elder, but he was with Jesus. Like, he saw it. We're getting this firsthand from a guy who was there. Not like some of the stuff we get, right? We get information from people that was passed down, passed down, passed down, passed down. By the time we get it, we don't even know it's true anymore, right? Or it's gotten changed so much. We're getting this from a guy who walked with Jesus. That's going back as close as you can to the source, right? I mean, it's pretty good information. This is an eyewitness. And that's what Peter says. I'm a witness. I watched Christ suffer. And not I heard about it but I was there. This is a reliable source, Peter. And he, he witnessed Christ's suffering, and, he, and he, he says, and also will share in the glory to be revealed. And he, what he's saying to us, as to, to our elders, is this, together we will suffer in Jesus, and to all of us, right? And together we will share in his glory. That's awesome, isn't it? Because we know, we go into it knowing that life is a rose garden, right? It's not a bed of roses. We know that when you claim Christ, when you accept Jesus as Lord, you are opening yourself to suffer. You're going to be attacked by the enemy and by the world or by anyone who doesn't like 
God or doesn't like any kind of standard in their life. They want to be their own God. They want to call their own shots. And they don't want anyone to say there's a higher bar to be raised. They don't want anyone to say there are moral rules that you should live by. They want everyone to say you do whatever you want to do. And I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And let's just leave it like that, right? So we can all be our own little gods running around here doing our own thing. The minute you stand for something is the minute you're going to be attacked, and that's what Peter's saying to us. You will suffer in Jesus, but you will also share in his glory. And that glory is so much bigger than your suffering, right? The suffering's little. The glory's huge. Amen to that, right? I mean, so we keep that in mind, and that's what Peter's trying to tell these guys. Look, the suffering that you're going to endure for this little period of time that you're on the planet is nothing compared to the glory of eternity forever and ever and ever in the presence of God. Nothing will compare to that. You've got this, guys. You can do it. Verse 2, be shepherds, right? Elders, you be shepherds of God's flock. That's what he calls our elders to be, shepherds. And we know what a shepherd is. A shepherd is someone who cares for sheep, right? They tend to them. They make sure they have water. They make sure they're eating good. They make sure they're not being attacked. They make sure they're protected when they sleep. They are, they are they're protectors and guards of the sheep. They are stewards of the sheep, right? He says, that is under your care. You be shepherds of God's flock, not your flock. These aren't yours. You don't own them, right? This is God's people, and they are under your care, watching over them. Look at that verse 2. You are a steward of God's people, elders. That's what you are. You're a steward. They're not yours. Parents, you're not, you don't own your kids. You're a steward of your child. They belong to God, right? We belong to God. We are just stewards of anything. It's all God's, right? It's all God's. Anything that you have, anything you've got is not yours. It's God's, and, and he gave it to you for now. And he calls us to be stewards of these things that we have and specifically for elders of God's flock that is underneath your care. God called you to be an elder and he placed them under your care. Your job is to watch over them. And, and watching over them means you feed the flock, right? That's what elders do. They feed the flock. We're not talking about pizza on Wednesdays. We're talking about the word of God. We're talking about spiritual truth. We teach the flock spiritual truths. And so when our elders get to teach on Sunday mornings or they get to be up here on Wednesday nights and teach, they're, they're sharing their life. That's what they're doing. They're sharing what God is doing in their life to the flock because they're trying to be what God has called them to be. That is shepherds of the flock, teachers of the word and an example to the flock as we follow Jesus, you follow us. We're walking together in this thing. Nobody's perfect. We don't have it all right, but we're working together to follow Jesus. And there's no doubt that Peter is recalling as he's saying these words, you know, as Peter says these words, be shepherds of God's flock. There is no way in the world Peter is not remembering when Jesus took him aside after he denied Jesus three times and said, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Shepherd my sheep. There's no doubt in my mind that Peter isn't recalling those, that experience with Jesus personally. When he knew that he blew it, and Jesus loves him anyway. And says, Peter, it's okay. I love you. Feed my sheep. And now Peter is saying to the church, to the leaders, to the elders, 
Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. And Peter understands that doesn't mean you're perfect. Because Peter knows, like I know, we're not perfect. Right? We're not perfect people. We're not going to do everything right. We need to get up off the ground sometimes and keep going too. Jesus' blood covers us as well, right? Covers all of us because we all mess up. Peter says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. And then he gives um, a, couple, uh, a couple knots, right? And three knots he gives for leaders. If you're looking at your text, it's basically like Peter saying, don't be a knothead, okay? Don't be a knothead. And here's three knots he says to give to leaders. Leaders, be shepherds. Number one knot, not because you must, but because you are willing, right? Don't be a knothead. Don't do it because you have to. Don't do it because you must. Don't do it because, don't be an elder because no one else will. That's not a good reason to be an elder. You be an elder because God has called you to be an elder and because you're willing to be an elder. If you don't do it out of the joy in your heart to serve God because he's calling you into it, then don't do it. You're not going to be in his will if you try it. That doesn't mean we, we have to try things, right? It doesn't mean that as young men we don't try If we're we're trying to figure out, is God calling me to be a leader or an elder in the church? That doesn't mean we shouldn't try that. But once we figure out if we should be or not, we need to go from there, right? We decide if we need to keep doing this or not. And if he's called you to be an elder, do it because you're willing. That's what he says. But because you are willing. That's huge, right? The number one qualification for an elder is not just that you're called, but that you're willing. That you're saying, God, here I am. You know, I... A coach, you know, I say that a lot, but um, the other day we're like, we got, we got eight girls showed up for our, for our softball game, right? And, and they're, they're on the field. Our catcher does not show up. So girls are running on the field. I'm going, hey, girls, we need a catcher. I'm going to play first. Girls, we need a catcher. I'm going to the outfield. Girls, we need a catcher. I'm playing short. So we got all our girls on the field, and we don't have a catcher. And I'm like, girls, you're useless. We can't play without a catcher. They're like, we got to have a catcher, right? Got to have a catcher. Can't play the game. Can't even pitch the ball if we don't have a catcher. Finally, one of them says, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll be the catcher. This girl who's done it before, she did a fine job. But, but willingness, right? Because you're willing. It takes a willingness to serve God. And, and, the, and one of the first things we got we to gotta do as, as followers of Christ is say, God, like here I am, however you want to use me, send me. And we have this willing spirit to do whatever it is God wants us to do. We don't ever say, I I won't do that, or I'm not going to do that, or that's not my thing, or that's not my... We don't do that. Because what we're doing then is saying, God, I'm calling the shots. And what we want to do is say, God, you call the shots. I will willingly submit to you. Look at the next knot. He says, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Do you get that? Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Do you see the contrast? One is not pursuing like money or personal benefits, but to serve. And so he contrasts gain or finances with service. That's quite a contrast, right? He says, if you're going to be an elder, don't do it for money. Like who gets into ministry for money? David, you do that? See, nobody gets into, unless, unless you know, you're trying to buy your next jet. Then that, that's different. Some of these people are going to answer to God for what they do. But most people don't get into ministry because of money. They don't do it to get rich. Because you're not getting rich here. Right? That's not going to happen. But he says, don't do it for money at all. Do it to serve. 
Do it because you want to represent Jesus. And you know, there's no doubt in my mind, Peter's thinking, okay, who, you know, he's thinking Judas right here, right? This is, this is a Judas thing. When he says, not, not to pursue dishonest gain, but to serve, you know he's thinking about that one guy that was among them that was in it for the money, right? He was, he was tapping into the funds, Right? Judas. And so there's no doubt he's thinking about Judas when he says, hey guys, don't be leaders of God's people for the money. Don't do it to benefit yourself or to manipulate things so that you get an advantage. You do it to serve because a leader understands that the priority is the souls of people and that riches are in when people give their life to Jesus and that's what riches are all about. And if you cross over to the money side, you have missed the point of being a leader for God and you should get out of it, right? Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. The leaders count the costs, right? They count the costs, and they understand that I'm leading because I want to see people come to know Jesus. And that's the only reason. Not about the money at all. And then the third knot is this, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So not being the boss, right? You're not, we're, not, we're not there to tell people, I'm a leader, you need to do this. That's not what we do. We don't play power cards on people. We don't say, hey, I'm this, you've got to do that. That's not the way of Jesus, right? We know that. I'm an elder, therefore you have to do what I say. No, that, that's, you blew it right there. You already blew it. Okay, they, leaders set an example. Right? Look what he said. Not lording it over. You're not the boss. You're not lording it over those. You're not manipulating those entrusted to you. That's not what you're there for. But you're an example to the flock. There's no doubt in my mind, Peter's not thinking about the upper room, right? When, when they're all there, right? He said, go prepare the room, get ready for the supper. And they're all there and they're hanging out and they're talking about who's awesome and who's great and who the top three are and all this stuff. And then Jesus comes walking in and he washes their feet. Right? And then he says, I've set you an example that you should do as I have done. <laughs> there you go. There's your leader on his knees washing feet. Never saying, I'm God. Well, you get over here and wash my feet. He didn't pull that card. He never does. He could. He's God. I mean, he could say that, right? I mean, he has the authority and the right to say, I am God. And he does. We know he's God. He says he's God. I am God. And we know that. But we as leaders following his example, we never do that. We just lead. We just close our mouths and lead. And we trust God, right? We show people that we trust God, that we're living by faith. And when we go and try to do it ourselves, we're not following God. We're doing it ourselves, right? A leader, the leader trusts God and says, God, you know, it's in your hands. I'm just going to do what I'm supposed to do, be a leader, be an example to the flock. And God, you, you work out the rest. I can't handle the rest. You got it, right? And Peter's recalling that. And Jesus saying, you do as I have done. And what is he doing? He's washing their feet. Verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears. Remember who he's talking to still. He's, in verse 4 verses, he's talking to the elders. Okay, let's keep that in mind because this is important. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. Look what he says here. The chief shepherd is coming. He says when he comes. Not if he comes. Not he might decide to come or he might not come. But when he comes. Because Peter just got done saying the end of all things is near. And that means the shepherd's coming. The chief shepherd's on his way. He's going to come. It's not a matter of when. It's 100% promise that he is coming. Who is this chief shepherd? 
Well, according to Isaiah, Ezekiel, Micah, and the, he is the Messiah, right? According to the Hebrew writer, he, he calls him, the Hebrew writer calls him the great shepherd. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25, he says, you have returned, Peter wrote earlier, you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. When the great shepherd, when the chief shepherd appears, when he comes, who is the shepherd? John said, in, that when Jesus was talking, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. Who is the shepherd? He's Jesus. The shepherd is Jesus, right? And he is bringing with him a crown of glory, a crown of glory. See, Peter's referencing in this idea of a crown. He's, you know, a lot of times we think of the crown of glory being this like kingly crown, but that's not what Peter's talking about. He's not talking about a, a kingly crown with rubies and jewels. He's talking about one that's weaved with like garland and flowers, one that an athlete gets for winning the race. See, I'd rather have that crown. I don't want a crown that I inherit because my last name matches the name of the one who had the crown before. I want the crown because God is well pleased with me. That's the athletic crown, the one that he puts on you that's a wreath. It's not real valuable, but it says a whole lot. It says you have fought a good fight. It says you have finished the race. It says you have followed your Jesus, and the chief shepherd now is here, and he has your crown for you. That's the crown I want. That's the crown Peter's talking about when he talks about this crown. He's referring to this, this wreath crown that you get because you, you were faithful. You were faithful to your king. You were faithful to your God. That's an awesome crown. And he says that will never fade away, this crown. He's not talking about the physical crown. He's talking about your spiritual crown that will never fade. It will never fall apart. It will never be destroyed. It can never be taken away from you. And he says it is made of glory. Glory is always a reference to something eternal, something spiritual, not of this world. So it's your glorious crown, not an earthly crown. Isn't that the crown you want? That's the crown I want. Not that I'm trying to earn it, but I am trying to live my life to please my God who died for me to save my soul. And I'm living for him. And I'm running for a prize. I'm win running to get this crown of glory that will never fade away. Who will receive this crown of glory? Think about this for a minute. Just go with me on this. Who will receive this crown of glory? I know most of us are thinking like, well, duh, all of us, right? Anyone who's faithful to Jesus is going to receive a crown of glory, right? Who, who is the you when Peter says, and you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away? Verses 1 to 4, who is he talking to? He's talking to the elders. Okay, go with me. Walk with me here a minute. He's talking to the elders. So to be honest, to be true to the text, the elders, the shepherds, will receive a crown of glory when Jesus comes back. So then we ask ourselves, is this reward or this crown for me to hope for? Is this something that I, John, should hope that I will receive this crown of glory too? So I can't get that from the text because he's talking to the elders. He's talking to the, the shepherds of the people. But if you look at what else Peter said, and if you look at other passages of Scripture, and let me read a couple for you, we can quickly conclude who is going to receive a crown of glory. James says this, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive a crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. James just opened it up, right? 
It's no longer talking just simply about the elders, although Peter in this passage is, but James just opened it up to all. 2 Timothy 4 8, Paul said, In the future there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. 1 Corinthians, Paul said, Run in such a way as to what? Get the prize. That's right. Revelations chapter 3 to the church in Philadelphia. He says, I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. So all of a sudden, as we look at scripture on a whole, not just this one verse, we begin to realize that this crown of glory is for all who are faithful to Christ. And so I can claim my crown now, right? Claim your crown, people. Claim your crown. Okay, not just on what Peter said here, but what on the scripture says. And as disciples of Jesus, it is our responsibility to look into the scriptures, not the scripture. Scriptures, right? Important. So important for us to do that as, as we faithfully follow Jesus and we claim our crown, right? Claim your crown. In verse 5, he says, in the same way, okay, he's going to move on from the elders now to the same way as you who are younger, he says, or likewise in the same way, in other words, with the same attitude of humility. For those of you who are younger, junior, right? Basically the word is junior. Hey, junior. Or children, right? Children. Younger in age, younger in faith. And perhaps Peter is even including in this, he's including those who are junior leaders, maybe the deacons, maybe those who are in training to become elders, those who are learning to become leaders in the church. You who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. This, this is, Peter gets into this humble fest. There's a humble fest about to happen. Get ready for it. Because Peter's about to talk to all of us and say, you humble yourself to him, and you humble yourself to them, and they humble themselves to her, and she humbles himself to him, and it's just a big humble fest. At every turn, in every direction, it's this rule of humbling ourselves to one another. It's a humble fest. That's what it is. They, elders, are to lead humbly, you, younger, are to follow humbly. <laughs> they are, they are, the, your leaders are here to assist you, right? That's what your elders are for, right? And, and we don't take advantage of that very well. Right? We've got elders who God has called to be shepherds of the flock, and, and, and they're there to give counsel. They're there to give wisdom. They're there for you, for all of us, to go to and talk to about important decisions that you're making in your life. Right? If you're going to make a decision, you ought to talk to people, right? Hopefully you do. You have people you talk to. But some of those people ought to be the elders of, of you, your shepherds, right? You should go and talk to them. Not to put them on the spot, but to simply get their advice, to let them pray for you. They're here for you. If you're younger, making big decisions, you should go to them. It's, in, it's important that we do that. That's why they're there. That's why God's called them, to help you and assist you on your journey, for your counsel, for protection, for wisdom. You should seek them out. Right? That's what you should do. That's what we should do. Not be too busy to, to, to do that. He says, he goes on to say elders, he talks to elders, he talks to youngers. Now he says, all of you, and that pretty much covers who? All of you. Okay, good. Uh, pretty much all of us. He says, you, all of you, clothe yourself. I hope you're following me on these verses. Clothe yourself or dress yourself with what? Humility. See, it's a humble fest, I told you. Toward one another because, there's a reason that we should humble ourselves to one another. He says this, because God does what? He opposes the proud, and he shows favor to the humble. 
Don't ever say God is against people. God opposes the proud. God opposes those who think they get to call the shots. Those who ignore that he is God. You will find yourself fighting against God. And you will lose. You will lose. If you oppose God, you stand against God. He said, if you are not with me, you are what? You're against me. See, God opposes the proud, and he shows favor to the humble. Oppose means to resist, right? To go against, right? Pride, what does pride do? Think about this. Look at those verses. God opposes the proud, and he shows favor to the humble. Pride, what does it do? It disrupts and it, it, it interrupts God's order, right? God's order is to be carried out in God's will and God's plan. And when pride comes in, it disrupts the order of God's flow. And God goes against those, that person. God opposes the proud and he gives favor to the humble, right? Favor to the humble, to those who are... Who are um, he, he said, those who are not for me are against me. So God is basically saying to those who want to try to go against God, bring it. Like, go ahead, come on, bring it, bring it. You want to, you want to be proud, you want to be cocky, you don't want to learn from history, from how God deals with people that go up against him. You don't want to learn from that, you're going to be doomed to repeat that, right? Not out of, uh, not out of hate, not out of dislike, but out of the simple fact that he is God. And he is in control. And our job is to humble ourselves under him. That's it. Verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, he says it very clearly, under God's mighty hand. Why? That he may lift you up in due time. Look, at this is, this is a thought from Job, right? It's Job who said, though he slay me, right? Though he slay, Job, remember Job and all that Job went through? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Woo! That's powerful, isn't it? Though God sends trials to me, not temptations, though he sends trials my way, though he takes everything I have that he's given me, by the way, that I'm a steward of, by the way, though he takes it all, I will trust him. Wow, that's faith, right? That's faith. That's what Peter's saying here. God, humble yourself under God's mighty hand. God is mighty. Put yourself under his hand, and no matter if trials come or persecution comes, at the right time, he is going to exalt you. He is going to lift you up. Verse 7, cast all your cares or all your anxieties on him because why? Because he cares for you. What is anxiety anyway? What, is, what does it mean to have anxiety? Uh, people understand that, right? We, we, we experience that with our lives. We experience uh, anxiety. And what it basically is, it's like worry, right? It's concerns. And in an even deeper way, it's, this, it's, it's thoughts that like, I got this. Like, I got this, right? And it brings about anxiety. Or it is also wondering if God has gotten too busy for me. Like, God's too busy. I, I got to do this myself. Or even doubting, like doubting that God is even concerned about you. And so it brings about anxiety, right? Peter says, cast all of your anxiety on him. Why? Because erase the doubt right now. He cares for you. He cares for you. That's the word of God. He cares for you. It's you and Jesus, and he's got you. Right? He's got you. Just 100% put yourself in his hands, and he's got you once and for all. Just give him who you are. Trust him. He's got you. Verse 8, be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy. Whoa. 
Peter's going to kind of wrap this section up, but he's going to wrap this up with this, your enemy. Now, some of you are like the sweetest people ever, right? Like nobody would ever dislike you. you. You bake pies for all your neighbors. You bring cookies everywhere you go. That, that was my mom. You know, we'd go to the park and she'd have a purse. Her purse wasn't a purse, it was a suitcase. And she'd bring chips and cookies and we were feeding the whole stands by the end of the game. I mean, it was just, just the way she was. But some of you are like that, like no mean bone in your body. Like everybody loves you. Anybody like that? Raise your, no, no, raise your hand. That, that wouldn't be humble. Like you're a friend of everyone. <laughs> Everyone's your friend. Right? And friends are friends forever. <laughs> right? Um, but here's the deal. Did you know that you have an enemy? See, we, we think we're so sweet. We, I mean, we are. You, some of you are very sweet, but you have an enemy. Look what Peter says. Be alert and sober mind your enemy. If you're a Christian, you have an enemy. You have an adversary. And he's trying to outwit you. He's trying to tempt you. He's trying to make you fall. Right? He's trying to get you to rebel. Uh, rebel. And Peter gives us some, in these final words, he gives us some insights on how to deal with our enemy. Because some of you don't think you have an enemy because you're sweet, and you are, but you do have an enemy. Peter's telling you about that. And he wraps it up with three realities about our enemies. Here it goes. Number one, there's a real threat. Okay, look what he says. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So Peter said, if you're a Christian, if you're in this battle against the devil, then you have an enemy and he's real. Don't forget that. Don't turn your back, right? He's a, like a roaring lion and sometimes he's like a prowling lion, right? He's not always up in your face yelling and screaming. He's in the bushes and he's coming after you through a sideway, right? He's coming after you to tempt you or to lead you away or to wait till you're, you're like in a weak moment so he can pounce all over you. Okay, he's not warning you, hey, I'm coming to beat you up. He's like sneaking up behind you. Right? He's determined. That roaring idea is that he is determined. He is passionate about tripping you up. And he is. He's your enemy. He's the devil. And he's out to get you. He's looking for someone to devour. He's looking to cause havoc, right? Disruption and distraction. And to Eve, remember he said to Eve, did God really say don't eat that. See, that's a prowling, that's not a roaring lion. That's a lion looking to just maneuver and manipulate you. Did God, did God really say don't eat that? He's a salesman. He's a stalker. I'm telling you, he is. The devil is a stalker. He's a scammer. He's a scammer. He's everything you get when you answer the phone and they're trying to sell you some junk. That's the devil right there. Hang up. Jesus loves you. To Eve, did he really? See, don't sit around and chat with the devil. He's just trying to trick you. And Peter says what you ought to do. Look at this, the next thing he says. So first, there's a real threat. Don't think there isn't. You can be as sweet as you can be. You have an enemy, and he's out to destroy you. Don't forget that. Number two, take a real stand. You have a real threat. Take a real stand. Look what he says, verse 9. Resist him. Not sit down and chat with him. Don't sit there and try to converse with the devil like you're going to like, win him over. Forget that. Let God deal with the devil. You, as a human being with Christ living in you, you resist him. You resist him standing firm in the faith. Don't put your tail between your legs and run away. You resist him. You stand firm. You might have to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with him. But don't sit there and chat with him. 
That's not going to get you anywhere. He says, you stand firm in the faith. Where do you stand firm? In the truth. You stand firm as you walk in the truth. You stand firm as you stand on the truth. And you stand firm as you trust God in the truth, in the faith. Because you know that your family of believers throughout the world, they're undergoing the same kind of suffering. They're under attack just like you are. So stand firm. Maybe even stand and face it. Sometimes you have to just tell them, get behind me. All right? In the name of Jesus. Don't take that lightly. That's not something you just do. Right? You, you, you talk to your elders. You pray. You, you do spiritual things that prepare you to stand against him. Don't just think you're going to go out there and fight the devil. He's, he's mightier than you think. But the one in you is greater than the one that is in the world. But if you don't go in the power of Jesus, you're going to be in trouble. That's nothing to take lightly. But he does say resist him. Don't yield to him. Do not give in to him. Don't surrender to the sin that he's thrown in your face. Don't give in to that stuff. See, when Peter said in verse 8, be alert and sober-minded, I think he's reflecting on the idea of a shepherd, or he is reflecting on this idea of a shepherd who spies out the lion prowling in the weeds. See, that idea of, of like being alert is like, your leaders are to be watching for this stuff. Elders, you're supposed to be like watching to protect your sheep. Like not just a roaring lion come charging in, but one in the reeds sneaking his way through. All right, that's the idea that Peter's trying to get alert. Be alert, be sober-minded. Don't do anything that's going to keep distract your, your, your spiritual mind. Right? And, and there's no doubt Peter here in this is reflecting directly on the three times that he denied Jesus. Right? Think about this. I mean, this is Peter telling these guys, telling the people, telling all of us that there's a devil. He's going to attack. He's going to try to trick you just like he did me. And it's very real for Peter. This whole section is very real for Peter because what he's telling us are things that he did and blew. That's powerful. I mean, that's pretty powerful stuff. He's not just playing games or saying, hey, I went to the right class and here's what I learned. He's saying, I went to school and the devil schooled me. But I learned. Jesus wiped me off and he forgave me and grace is mine and now I'm going to walk in strength and I'm going to help you too. That's what Peter's doing. It's powerful. There's a real threat. Take a real stand. And the third thing he says is there is real restoration coming. Look at verse 10. And the God, the God of all grace, right, who loves you, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, right, all of his greatness, all of his riches, he called you to that. After, he says, after you have suffered for a little while, like, like in not a lot of suffering, just a little bit of suffering, and also like in a short time, right, just a little bit of suffering, maybe for a few years, maybe for 20 years maybe for 40 years it's short compared to eternity right so after you have suffered for a little while look what's going to happen he himself jesus himself will restore you he will make you strong he will make you firm and he will make you steadfast see that's good news right like we're in this battle and, and we may have to go through stuff and we may fall on our face, but God is there and he's faithful and he's going to pick you up and he's going to restore you. He's going to make you strong. Look at those words, restore you to make you strong, to make you firm, to make you steadfast. In other words, he will perfect you. He will take your imperfections and he will make you perfect. 
one day, in a little while. See, you and I, what our job is, is to fight to stay close to God. That's our job. Just fight to stay close to Him. Don't fight everything that comes against you. Fight to stay close to the presence of God. You stay close to Him, and He will not let the devil pull you away, right? That's our job. Stay close to God. God will protect you. He is the chief shepherd. You are are not. He is. God will do the rest. He will show you what he needs you to do, and he will do the rest. If you just fight to stay in the presence of God, your shepherd will come, and he will give you all the strength you need. In verse 11, Peter ends this little section after he says all these things. He says, and this is firsthand experience, to him be the power forever and ever. Amen.